Welcome to our podcast, Stretching the Truth. I am your host, Cece. Alongside me, my co-hosts, Stretch and Tolby, will be joining us. Uh, just first things first, just want to just say that this will be a sports podcast if you're just joining us. Um, so yeah, we will only be talking about sports, maybe a little bit of uh, other things, but mostly be sticking to sports. And uh, yeah, I just want to start off with what was happening over the weekend and David Griffin denying the Knicks jobs because they couldn't agree on on a role that he could play. Um, Stretch, just what are your takes on him denying that job just because of they couldn't get the right role that he wanted? Was he after more power? I mean, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, he wants to run run the system and the organization the way that, that he sees fit. He wants to be in control of who they're drafting and who they're signing in free agency, and I don't think they wanted to, to give him that option. Yeah, he's wanting to change up the whole uh, Knicks organization and it's just creating problems and the Knicks don't really want to deal with that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with Steve Mills wanting that wanting that job and that role and David Griffin's saying, you know, hey, look, you know, if you're going to bring me into this, I want full control. Like, like what he had in Cleveland, he had all the power. I mean, yeah, you can say that LeBron was running the show, and he was the one saying, go get you know, Andrew Bogut and Derek Williams for a backup point guard, but he was still the man. He went out and made those acquisitions happen. He was the one that made the trades for J.R. Smith and Iman Shumper, and, and I think David Griffin wanted that responsibility in New York, and I don't know if, if the owner, uh, James Dolan, just trusts Mills more with that or or just doesn't want to give that to Griffin because they didn't even get to talk in numbers I mean that to me is is kind of crazy that you don't even get to to talking about money you know what I mean yeah it sounds like they just had fundamental disagreements right from the get-go and and everybody involved realized that it just wasn't going to work out uh Toby um what about does do you think Mello plays any part in this you know maybe Maybe that had something to do with it where Mills wants to keep Mello and Griffin wanted to trade him off. What What do you think? Did that play a part in, in him turning this job down? Um, yeah, with Mello and talking about him getting traded um, either to the uh, Houston or even maybe even Cleveland, um, they would have to change the lineup of the Cleveland Cavaliers quite a bit. And maybe even get rid of Kevin Love for him, and it creates problems and stuff like that. Right, and if 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 the Cavs really are going after Melo, is that gonna bring them closer to Golden State? I mean, I don't understand what you're giving up. If if you're giving up Kevin Love for Carmelo Anthony, what do you even gain there? I mean, 
both of them are are three point shooters. You know, can play in the post and don't really play any defense. I mean, what are you what are you gaining with with if you're going after Melo if you're the Cavaliers? Nothing. Although I I would say that it would be hilarious to see if they did. It. <laughs> well, you would have about half of the banana boat crew going on right there, but yeah, you still don't improve defensively. And I don't know if if the Houston Rockets are going after Carmelo, and right now it looks like they have nothing to offer because the Knicks just want to get younger. What what would you? What's a possible trade that you could see happening? With the between the Rockets and the Knicks for Carmelo Anthony, I don't know. I mean, I personally, I'd say they'd be better off just getting rid of James Harden that horrendous contract. <laughs> well, we uh, all know that's not going to happen. I mean, they got Chris Paul. They got right. the point guard. They'd they'd be better off with with Paul and Melo than they are. That, with... That's one move that I really don't understand. With with Harden, he was the second most usage, if I have that correct, in the NBA as far as having the ball in his hands, and Chris Paul was fifth, and now you put those guys on the same team, who's going to run that show? I mean, do you think there will be any clash in that at all? I mean, I, yeah, I, you, you almost have to put Harden back to playing a shooting guard like he did coming off the bench in OKC, and, which in my opinion, I think he's, he's a better role player as a, as a shooting guard because of how he plays the ball. He's either all for himself or, or nothing. That's we we saw that in Houston when he you know in what was it game six against San Antonio when he was like okay I'll get everybody else involved and it's like no you're the leader of the team the best player has to be you know be playing well to get everybody else going and he was just you know he just decided he's not going to shoot the ball and that I mean he's he's shown that he can score score the the rock but it just he hasn't been a very good team player, and he hasn't been a very good leader in Houston up to this point. Yeah, with James Harden, uh, yeah, he handles the ball a lot for his team, and with Chris Paul joining the team, and as him being point guard, it's going to probably not be good for James Harden right away because he likes to score and handle the ball. Right, and, and I wonder if they're bringing Paul in just to – run only the the point guard position and I don't know if their their plans are Chris Paul will not you know score as much as he did in in LA um because I mean is James Harden still going to be able to put up you know 30 30 a game like he did last year with with not getting as many touches or is Chris Paul going to be strictly there for assist purposes only I think so I mean I think um, what what D'Antoni's shown is that he wants to be like a poor man's Golden State. He wants, I mean, I think they shot more more threes than any other team last year, and they, I mean, they definitely are a threat from beyond the arc. And now adding Chris Paul, you allow Harden to be able to move the way that Curry does without the ball. So that's that frees you up from that aspect, and that's why I said I think I think they move Harden back to a shooting guard role versus. A point guard role, and they, you know, luckily they, they were able to see a little bit in OKC with with Russell Westbrook and what, you know, yeah, he averaged a triple double for the season, but you can't have one guy with that much on his shoulders and go deep in the playoffs. It's just not possible. 
Yeah, thank you, right, CC. Um, with Chris Ball joining the team, um, yeah, mo mostly going to be using for assists because he's more of a passing guard and he just likes to get people involved. And with Harden, he'll probably be shooting more threes because he needs to move out to um, get in touch with Chris Paul and communication. Right, I mean, Chris Paul was last season averaged 18 points a game and 9 assists. I wonder, and it wouldn't surprise me at all, if his points per game would, wouldn't go down to maybe around 15 and his assists, you know, maybe not 10, but, you know, that 9.5 range, close to 10 assists, you see that, that number go up a little bit. But also, you know, with them going after Car Carmelo, is, that's an, a, he is a great three-point shooter. I mean, you look at what he does in the Olympics – and basically what he does in the Olympics is shoot threes. So I wonder if they go after him, is that all they're going to do is just drive and kick to Carmelo and he's just going to rain make threes all day? Like is that – because I know D'Antoni, he loves that three-point shot and that's basically his whole offense is we're either going to get a three-point shot or we're going to get an open layup. We don't want anything other than that. Those are the highest statistics because he's such a numbers guy – and I wonder if that's why they want Carmelo is strictly as a shooter, like because they don't even they don't really care about defense. I mean, clearly when they got rid of Patrick <laughs> Beverly, I mean he was the only player on that team that knew what the word defense meant. Right. I mean Chris Paul's a nine-time All Defensive Player, so I mean he gives them some perimeter defense, but you're still not they're not locking down Steph and and Clay, which is the main your main goal. And honestly, I don't even know if this move helps him get past San, uh, San Antonio. Antonio. I don't see them moving no. out of that three seed, moving up. But if they would have been able to get a Paul George or, you know, even if they get Carmelo, I think that would give them a better shot to beat San Antonio. But they're still not going to beat Golden State. That's that's what doesn't make sense. I mean, Paul's only locked into a, Paul's only locked into a one-year deal as well. So why not, why not go try to get... Get Paul George. I mean, you you know you're probably only going to get one year, but that adds a whole other dynamic that that you didn't have, that you now don't have with Chris Paul. It just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. But I guess if they realized that there was no way they were getting Paul, which Indiana pretty much gave him away, you, you would think that they could have given a little bit more. I mean, they did get rid of Beverly and forget who else uh, to get Paul in, but. You think you would just you have to think they they could have done something more, but I just I don't think there's any way they're getting Carmelo down there, and even if they do, now you have three players that have proven that they're not they're not worth anything in the clutch when you need them in the playoffs. I mean, I don't see how that gets you over the hump. Right, and I don't, I don't think anybody's getting over the hump this year. I mean, I think it's again going to be another lock with Golden State winning the title, and even George going to, to OKC. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, do you think that this move is strictly to recruit Westbrook to say, look at, look at what we're doing. We're willing to bring in another superstar for you because we lost the other one, but we want you to stay here so badly that we're going to trade away all these players. I mean, they weren't really good players, but, I mean, they're role players, and they, they got potential with Sabonis and... Oladipo's a nice role player, and 
So, I mean, Indiana got something out of the deal, but not what George is worth, which you kind of knew they weren't going to with the him telling everybody in the world that he's going to the Lakers. Do you think that this is strictly just kind of a recruiting thing for Westbrook to keep him to stay there next year? Yeah, I mean, Oladipo, uh, he didn't he didn't put up the points for OKC like people thought he was going to. Um, he's more just there to help Westbrook uh, run the show. And, yeah, he was more there for... Yeah, just being there as a role model for the team. I don't. I mean, to me, I think if that's their plan, it's going to backfire because it's been known for a while that Westbrook kind of wants to go to to Los Angeles as well. I mean, what's to keep Paul George from recruiting Westbrook and saying, "Hey, that's I'm going to go out there and kick kick it with Lonzo in his five hundred dollars shoes." <laughs> Let's. I mean, for real, he'll probably get you a discount. Why don't you come join us? So I, I don't know that if that is their plan, if that's the best option, but I think it gives them the best chance to win right now, and I think that that's what they, I mean, obviously they're going to hope, you know, Paul George sees that they can build something. I personally, I think they can be a threat with with Cantor and, and Steven Adams down low. you got two solid wings, you know. When, when OKC did give uh, Golden State fits, it was because they went big with, with Steven Adams and, and and Durant, you know, so right, and you even saw that two years ago in the in the OKC series where they were down three one, it was because the Thunder went big. I mean, yeah, they had Durant that year, but if you can go big and you make right. and you're still athletic enough to guard them on the wing positions, which George and would be able to do, you know, some, you know, we saw that nobody's gonna stop Durant but if you can limit him and make him inefficient with his scoring I think you have a chance to to beat them well I think yeah and that and that and that's what I was saying is they they kept Golden State's death lineup as they call it off the floor when they went big and you know if we'll have to see what Golden State does but if they don't bring back McGee you know they don't have a true big man that can go down there and and box out Stephen Adams and and really get those hustle plays that he's. I mean, Stephen Adams is one of the best big men in the game right now as far as getting offensive and defensive rebounds. And you know, if you want to play ball control and run the clock, that's that's the. That it that is one way to limit Golden State is force them to play the half court. If you don't allow them to get out and run, you have a chance to limit them. But once they get running in the full court, then it's kind of a little bit harder to slow them down. And I think if you can get them to stop and play a full and play a half court offense, and then you have those two bigs in there where they can't drive the lane, they're forced to shoot. It allows George and Westbrook to play their defense more of to stop the shot because if they drive the lane, you've got Cantor and Adams, who are who are they're not great defensively, but you know they're they're tall enough to change your your shot, and you're gonna think about going down there a second time. Um, moving on here, uh, just want to talk a little bit about the the money that's going around in the NBA with Tim Hardaway Jr. getting a four-year, $71 million deal. And in his dad's whole career, he hadn't made that much. I mean, and he averaged 15 points a game last year, which is his highest mark 
and the Knicks traded him away just a couple years ago, and now all of a sudden they want him back. I mean, it's easy to poke fun at the Knicks, but what what is going on right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, maybe part of it, you know, with, with Ellis saying, hey, you know, I think I could have done more with this guy if we'd have ran a little different offense or something. You know, maybe he sees something that, that nobody else is seeing. But it definitely looks like, I mean, they're kind of the Cleveland Browns of, of basketball right now. They, <laughs> It's like if, if they can screw it up, they will. Yeah. But, you know, somehow they did end up getting Porzingis, and that, that turned out to be, you know, a huge, a huge pickup. Whereas when right when they drafted him, they everybody was – was dogging Phil and dogging the organization for making that move. And it's it's definitely paid off well for him so far. We'll have to see if he can stay healthy. As seven footers have, you know, a history of not being not being able to stay on the court, but we'll we'll have to see. It just it definitely definitely looks like the Knicks are taking a bit of a gamble on him. Yeah, and with the money that he got, uh, Hardaway was surprised by how much he actually got. Um yeah, I don't know if the Knicks would have had to offer him that much, but yeah, they did. So. Right, and I'm not sure what exactly Atlanta offered him. I think it was around forty million or a little bit higher than that. But I mean, they went about twenty million higher than what Atlanta did, which is the thing that I don't get because I feel like they could have gotten him for, you know, fifty, you know, maybe sixty million dollars, but they went and offered him seventy-one. Like to me, that's just a little bit ridiculous money like i don't understand were they just trying to bid so high that nobody else would be able to contend but not just that with but with drew holiday getting a five-year 126 million dollar deal and they didn't even make the playoffs last year and they had you know davis and they got cousins after the the trade dead or right before the trade deadline and it's not a guarantee that they're even going to make the playoffs this year yet they're paying him and and Cousins' contract is coming up. It just makes me wonder, why do all these teams just throw money at players that you know isn't going to isn't gonna put you over that hump? Or you're not, you're not even close. Like, to me, they're not even close. Like, if they make a seven seed, that'll be a tremendous year for them. And yet they're throwing all this money at these players, and they're obviously not going anywhere. Do you feel like it should be more accepted when teams tank no i mean from an i mean i'm not a professional athlete but there's nothing worse that that ruins the game or ruins the sport than than tanking games and just intentionally losing i mean how do you call yourself a man or accept a paycheck if you didn't earn it if you didn't go out there and fight for everything that you get i mean that that to me is is inexcusable yeah, the Pelicans, they didn't really win that many more games after Cousins joined. Um, maybe the height difference made it harder for other teams to score, but and he's a key role. Uh, he scores a lot of points, and he's a all-star. And it just shows that money, yeah, it just floats around, and pe- people just give it away. Yeah, I think it all has to do with the timing and, and when you're available. And I mean, who who else are the Pelicans going after? You know, they're, everybody else was pretty much set in where they're going. 
everybody pretty much knew that Hayward was going to go to Boston to to reconnect with Brad Stevens and and the Clippers threw a ton of money at Blake Griffin even though he can never stay healthy the whole season. I mean, it seems like every time playoff time rolls around, something's wrong with Blake and he's punching equipment managers again. All that happy stuff and it's just just getting back to my point, I I don't get how these people are running these teams. It's like all these players, I mean, I know somebody's got to pay them, but still, if if you know you're not going to get close to winning, why why try? And in my eyes, like, if I'm a, if I'm a player, yeah, every day I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try my hardest to win. But if I'm running a team or I'm, I'm the president or general manager of a team, why not just say, you know what, we're not going to be close. We're going to win 30 to 40 games and... We're not going to get any better. We're not going to get any worse over time. Why not just start over? Why not just get rid of your good players and and do what Philadelphia did and trust the process? And now they have Fultz and Simmons and and Bead and and they're ready to to go. I mean, I realize none of them have been able to really stay healthy so far. But if they are able to stay healthy, then then they have a lot of cap space available. And then maybe they can add a few more pieces. Is, Is that something that you would look at as general manager? I mean, it depends on what you have on your bench. I mean, if you know you've got a bunch of good young players that can play and they have the potential to get better, then, yeah, you absolutely play them. And, and by playing a bunch of rookies and, and first- and second-year guys, you might lose more games and, and you know get better draft picks. But to just intentionally lose, um, I don't think that, that would ever be an option, especially, in, I mean, how all over the place – coaching can be I mean you can be you can be a championship caliber coach and have two bad seasons and get fired it's just it's unbelievable that this that's the world we live in today but that is how it is so if if that's your strategy then I don't I don't think it's a very good one and I don't think I think the Pelicans just realized that if they don't get Drew that, that they're not gonna there's not really any other options out there so they they made sure that he felt wanted and you know, that they were committed to him, and I think that's their best chance to win right now. Yeah, I agree with uh, Stretch. Um, even, the, like, even if you're a really good coach and you're coaching young people, you're not going to win a lot of games right away, and your team has to build up the process like the 76ers are. Um, and Fultz just got injured in the... Summer league, so I'm not sure how that's gonna go, if he's gonna stay healthy, and if the rest of the team is gonna stay healthy also. Right. I mean, I understand that if you have young players that have potential, then you're gonna play them. But I mean, the only way to get those young players with potential is by getting high draft picks, and the only way you're gonna get a high draft pick is if you do a trade with the Nets, and they're just looking to give away their number one overall picks or you're not going to be very good. And that's the only other way to get high draft picks that have high potential. I'm not saying you have to be the worst team in the NBA, but at least get a pick in the top 10 to where you can have a shot at a you know, a franchise-changing player. I mean, any of the top 10 players this year could easily very well be the best player in the draft. In, in my opinion, you know, it wouldn't surprise me too much. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just fighting a losing argument here. But in my eyes, I'm either want to have the top 10 pick in the draft or I want to be 
a title contender. I don't want to be in the middle as a general manager. As a coach or a player, yeah, I'm going out there. I'm going to try my hardest to win. But outside of that, I don't see the point in being of I don't see the point in being the Chicago Bulls last year. I mean, they made the playoffs. They looked like they were going to win the first round. They Rondo got hurt, whatever. You know, some people say they would have won that series. But even if they would have won that series, they would have faced Cleveland. They would have gotten swept, and that would have been the end of that. You know, what What position are they better off in now than they were last year? Well, I mean, I, I, I think they just had the mindset of let's try to let's try to salvage what we have now that, you know, when they, I mean, they kind of dug their own grave once they got rid of Thibodeau and, and Derek Rose, but I don't think we want to get into a whole show of how the Bulls screwed that whole situation up, but I, I'm just saying, you know, I think, you know, a little bit with what the Knicks did last year, they, you know, before the season started, we all said, hey, you know, they went out, they got Derek Rose, they went and got, you know, jo- Joakim Noah, they got Porzingis, they got Melo, that's, I mean, those are four you know, three really great players and and a fourth solid piece that, you know, they can really build around this thing and, and be contenders in the East. Yeah, well, it just didn't work out. And I think that's what the Bulls were trying to do. You know, if they can if they can get Rondo, if he could be a glimpse of what he used to be with, with Wade and, and Jimmy Buckets, then they might be able to contend. And I just, I think it just did not pan out 100% the way that they wanted to. And but you, you can't blame him for trying. It's just, you know, just didn't work out. Right, and I want to talk a little bit about Hayward going to Boston and what they're trying to build there and the picks they've accumulated over the years. And it looks like they're finally going to make a move this year with getting Hayward, and they traded Avery Bradley to get better at the four because that was one of their weaknesses. They played uh, Al Horford at center, at, and then they were forced to go with Amir Johnson, I think, if later in the in the in the series, and he just he just couldn't hold up his own. So they're trying to get better at the power forward, and they bring in Hayward to get a better wing player. To me, did they jump too early to to try and match Cleveland with the young players they have? I mean, they already have Jalen Brown. They just drafted Jason Tatum, two wing players, and then you bring in Hayward, and you bring in uh, Markeith Morris who three and four could have been your really young players in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Do you think they should have been a little bit more patient with, with that? No, I mean, I think the, the, time, the time to act is always now. I mean, I, I, in my opinion, they should have used a couple of those draft picks to, to add a couple more key players that were available in the top ten of this year's, this year's draft, which maybe they weren't able to, but it just seems like... Um, Danny Ainge is just content with what he has, and and he's gonna sit on it, and and see what he can do. But I just, I mean, in my mind, anytime that Isaiah Thomas is your number one scorer, you, you're not gonna go that deep in the playoffs. I mean, you saw what Cleveland did to him. It just, I mean, they were almost a better team without him. And I mean, he's a great player, and he in the he can play in this league. But when it comes to crunch time, when it matters in the playoffs. You got to be able to, to separate and have more around him. So, I I I think they should have been more aggressive. So, do you think that they with Hayward and and Marquise Morris? Do you think they have a legitimate shot at beating Cleveland this upcoming season? 
I do, absolutely. I mean, they just, I think they, if they can make one more trade around the trade deadline this year and pick up, you know, another piece, I, I think they've got a le- legitimate chance. I mean. And who's that piece that they could pick up to, to make them a championship contender? I mean, I, what if they were to go out and get Carmelo, you know, somebody that can, that can play ISO, that can get you points when you need him at, at the end of the game, you know? So, I I don't know. I mean, a couple couple of my names come to mind. I think I think Mello could be a good fit there with Brad Stevens. He seems to get the best out of everybody that that plays on that team. Um, you know, maybe if they can if they could get somebody like Lul Dang or um, Ibaka, just get solid role players that are veterans in this league that can that can contribute. They're just extremely young, which you know. I mean, the, the, the whole thing about Boston is last year they were, what, a 56-win team, which was number one in the East. But if you would have gone the year before, they would have been the five or six seed. So, right. um, you know, I think they, they, they did do some things to, to get them better. I mean, the thing is, is the only contender that you have in, in the East is Cleveland. And if you can take care, of, take care of Kyrie, LeBron's not capable of carrying that team down the stretch anymore. So, right, but even if you, if you get past Cleveland, realistically, you're still not going to beat Golden State. And no, but that's that's not the that's not the goal. That I mean, you just you, you let don't, the chips fall where they may. Right, just but you don't just you there. don't play to get to the finals. You play to to win the NBA Finals. And to me, it, with Tatum coming in, he looks like a true star. He does. If you were mentioning Carmelo Anthony, if there's anybody in this year's draft class that looks like Carmelo, it. It's Jason Tatum with his shot that he can play. He can play the three, the four, can pass the ball a little bit. Terrific three-point shooter. You know, he's not the most athletic guy, but he can he can get up there and and yam on some people. But to me, I just I would have waited. You know, a couple more years because you got you got the number one pick next year. I mean, Brooklyn's gonna have the worst record in the league again because they always do, and they're gonna have the number one overall pick. Would you trade that pick then at the deadline to try and get somebody loose from a team to to try and win now? I mean, you never know what tomorrow's going to hold. So, I mean, at least in my eyes, I would. I just, I mean, you can, you can, it, and it depends on who's coming out of the draft. But you say the end result is to win the finals, not to get to the finals. You're not going to beat Golden State if you can't beat Cleveland. So, you got to get there before you can even talk about it. Right, and, and to me, if if I'm running that team, as young as they are, and Tatum has shown promises, and Jalen Brown, he he did get better as the season progressed. If you could get, you know, you have your guard play already, and if you could get maybe a dominant big in next year's draft, or even a dominant four like Michael Porter Jr., which I don't I don't even know how the draft is gonna go down next year. Then you're ready to grow and start meshing those players, and if if those guys become your best players, then then you're ready at the tail end of Golden State and at the tail end of LeBron's career. Then you're ready to take those guys down. Uh, Toby, what are your takes? Um, with Gordon Hayward going to the Celtics, um, him and Brad Stevens, even in college at Butler, uh, connected really well, and they won a championship. And they had a couple of good years in a row. Um, yeah, I think he'll 
go mesh with the team really well. And with Isaiah Thomas as a shooter and Gordon Hayward can drive also, um, they should be a really good team, even with Horford down low. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, it just showed Cleveland, Boston was, is not a very physical team. They're definitely not uh, as physical as they need to be in order to go deep. And I think that's why, that's why I say I think they just need a couple more solid pieces down low that can, that can get those rebounds that they can, you know, and then they need at least one more score of the ball, which Gordon Hayward is that, but. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I understand. I mean, you want to win now because your fans, the Boston fans are getting a little anxious to see what he's going to do with those picks. Uh, I want to change gears here a little bit to baseball with the home run derby going on tonight. Uh, What are you guys' thoughts on, do you think that this has the potential to be one of the best home run derbies we've seen in a while? Well, it has the potential, definitely, but I don't. I mean, that's so hard to say because you just never know, and especially in a in a stadium like Miami, um, you know, with the roof closed. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, you hear different opinions on whether or not that matters, but you know, I just I think you know if they'd be playing in Colorado, you know, where the elevation, you know, that then I would say you know without a doubt the odds are are in their favor. But it just I mean, you never know. Aaron Judge is a rookie, and if he you know, who knows? He might have jitters. He might, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen until you're actually, until you're actually there and you're, you're part of it. So, but we, we do know one thing, Judge can absolutely kill the ball and so can Stan. So you have arguably the two biggest sluggers that we've ever oh, seen. Definitely the biggest. I mean, Judge is 6'7". He's listed at 282, but I'm pretty sure he's dropped some of that weight. He's probably more 270 and Stanton 6'6", 245. Am I the only one that didn't realize how big he was? I mean, when I found out he was 6'6", because you see how ripped he is. I mean, the dude is jacked. And then you find out he's 6'6", and it's like, you got to be kidding me with this guy. Like, he hits a line drive that goes into the upper deck, and it's just like, Yeah, it's not even on its way down yet. Yeah. Right? And, like, you watch judges, and they they get high up there. and But Stanton's, they're just flatlining and just beaming out. I mean... But I think Judge actually has the highest uh, exit velocity right now at 110 miles per hour. I think that's about right around there. I don't know. See, I, I say they should switch up the home run derby. Instead of counting by how many home runs you hit, they should judge you by how many feet the ball flies. So if you hit a 420-yard shot, you know. Well, I actually think if you hit over four. 20 or I forget what the number is, but you actually get a 10 second bonus to hit more home runs. But I'm not sure if that actually carries over to the finals or not. But then uh, uh, the one year the guy got tired at the end and Josh Hamilton, yeah, I got so I mean, I don't know if you get if you get two bombs and then you're going 20 seconds longer than everybody else. Next thing you know, you get to the finals or the semifinals and you're wearing out, and the other guy just Right. You know, you end, you end up hitting 20 in the next round, and the other guy hits 23 and beats you, and then you're done, you know. So I don't know how that'll work. I don't know. Do you think they should maybe change it up a little bit and just go, everybody gets this amount of time, and whoever hits the most home runs wins? Like, there's no semifinals and there's no finals? I mean, I I think so. Mm-hmm. They, 
I just feel like you you know everybody should get the same amount of pitches, and then once you once you get to the final round, maybe instead of just having two at the end, have four, and then just let them go balls to the wall and see see who can who can jack them the jack the most the furthest. So I don't know. That's the way I see it. I I think it'd be more interesting to have three or four in the finals versus just the two that have you know outlasted everybody else. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, with more people in the finals, it would make it a lot more interesting, and people would probably be more happy about the finals, and it would, yeah, just be more of a show, and it would look more better. If if it's not Judge and Stanton in the finals, then is is there somebody else that you'd rather see matched up in the finals, or... Does everybody just kind of want to see Judge versus Stanton? I mean, those two guys just... No, I mean, that's that's Golden State-Cleveland in the finals. You know, that it, that's what I'm saying. Like, if those two don't make it, then I'm going to be extremely disappointed and it's not going to be, you know, what we were anticipating or hoping for. Right, I mean, you everybody wants to see these two big guys. I mean, I know the other guys aren't, aren't you know, they're not little. But I mean, right. they're, they're not 6'7", and they're not 6'6", six, six, you know, and the, and the way, I think Bellinger, is, he's he's 6'4", but he's like 210, you know, so I mean, they're not as big, I mean, I know Bellinger can, can crush him as good as anybody, and I know he's hit, since he's entered the league, he's has the most home runs since then, and, but his batting average isn't what judges, to me, the thing where Stanton and Judge have the, the upper hand is, the ball's not coming at you at 90 miles an hour. So you it's going to be harder. It's harder to hit him out of the park at 60 miles per hour than it is at 90. And to me, you have to have more strength. You look at what Stanton did last year with setting the record with 61 home runs. Can he repeat that or can Judge Max match his 60 home runs from last year? Well, I mean, for, what Frazier had 60, didn't he? I mean, Stanton only won by one, I thought. Well, so, I think I, mean, I think it's I think it's definitely repeatable, but I think I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to think that Stanton is going to be able to beat Judge, but yeah, we'll just have to we'll just have to see. Is the Miami uh, ballpark longer? Because that can make a difference. Of I mean, I know it's got a roof over it, and it can yeah, the wind won't affect it any. To, to me, it's just if you have to be able to crush the ball. Cause, and to me, the two people that can do that are Judge and, and Stanton. I mean, I don't want to count these other guys out. I don't know Charlie Blackman is what he's done this year. and But to me, it's just, again, with the, the, the how fast the ball is coming to you just has a greater effect to me. You have to be able to hit it harder. It you can hit it right and it still won't leave the ballpark. You have to be able to absolutely crush that ball because it's only coming. I'm not even sure what the speed is, but I'm thinking it's around 60 miles per hour. Yeah, pretty sure. Around there. So you have to hit the ball harder than what you normally do, which, I mean, Judge is hitting them 500 feet in batting practice, you know, which a batting practice, what are they, 60 miles an hour? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if he can do that in batting practice, then who knows what he's going to do tonight. and He's going to rip the cover off the ball. Pretty much, yeah. And just some last things. What do you, what are your thoughts on the NFL guys saying that 
they they want to see more of this guaranteed money that the the NBA is seeing. I mean, you look at the the guaranteed money that the NBA gets. I mean, their contracts are fully guaranteed, whereas the NFL you get you know half of your contract guaranteed and you might see all that money the first three years, but your last two years, it's more of a, you know, most likely not going to see as much of that money or they'll put you on a new contract. Is that something the NFL can get to now or do is it basically just a wait until 2021 with the new CBA? Well, it depends. Is is Roger Goodell still going to be the commissioner or are they going to go get somebody else? I mean, if you if you look at the way that NFL players' contracts and, are scheduled and the, and the ratio that the money comes out to, and the TV deals that the NBA gets over the NFL, I mean, it's just it's absolutely mind-boggling, and to think that the NFL makes you know as much money as they do. I think the NFL brings in thirteen billion dollars, and the NBA brings in eight. Right, and that's what I'm saying. It's absolutely pathetic, and you see the NBA players; they get roughly. Fifty percent of fifty percent of the money. So, you know, and if, I'm not sure what the percentage is on the NFL players, but it's not near as great. And then, to boot, you only have what eleven, fifteen players. Fifteen players on a roster. I think it's three hundred in the league or something like that. And the NFL has seventeen thousand. Yeah. So the money's not near as is. You know, you have way more way more people to pay, but it just. I mean, to think that you can make. You can make, I mean, look at Harden's, Harden's one contract is probably as, almost as much as Peyton Manning made in his entire career. And Peyton Manning has, what, four neck surgeries and, you know, doesn't have any feeling in his hand. To think that, you know, by the age of 50, you could have brain damage to play football for, you know, I mean, a great quarterback contract now is 25, $25 million a year, or that's, that's kind of the standard now. And I mean, pretty much everybody and their brothers making twenty million a season. Is, is that something they could player. they could change maybe with uh, taking off the cap? Because I know in the NBA you have a cap, but I mean you can still go over that. You just have a luxury tax. Should they bring in the luxury tax in the NFL where you can pay guys a little bit more and, and not be as strict on your on your cap space? Yeah, that that would actually be a good idea because. With people going with a cap, um, yeah, with cap, um, you can still go over in the NBA, and with paying taxes, it it's not that much for athletes that are really talented, and they can make that up. Um, yeah, it'd be good for the NFL to get people more money and see the growth of the NFL. Well, I just, I just, I don't know if, I just think that you should be able to, in the same sense of, of having a franchise tag on a on a player that you you can't get signed to a, a, a long term deal. I I feel like if every team had say, three players that their salary did not apply to the cap room, um, it would make everything a little bit more, or more reasonable. You know, I mean, just whatever. For example, you look at Denver, you know, if they were able to pay Von Miller as much as they wanted to and have it not affect the cap room, then they could pay everybody else a little bit more money money as well, you know. But you have those superstar players that get these mega contracts in order to keep them. You essentially are taking away from the rest of the team because 
that there's only that much money to go around. So I, I think that would be one way to tweak it. I don't know if if not having a salary cap would would affect that because then you would essentially be running the risk of having a team, you know, that acts like the Yankees have done, you know, in the past of just buying all the star power and then you have you're you're essentially buying the best players. <clears throat> and maybe maybe the NBA should should take their luxury tax away because I mean you look at right now Golden State's able to pay Steph and Durant, and even when Clay's contract comes up, they can still, you know, move Iguodala and Livingston and still be able to pay him. Should they lower that? Should they, Would you better be better off lowering the, the cap in, in basketball so a team like Golden State can't keep all of their players? Because you look at the NFL, I mean, when the playoffs start, you can't say that, oh, this one team doesn't have a shot. Because in football, every team has a shot. In basketball, last year, it was a foregone conclusion before the season started that it was going to be Cleveland and it was going to be Golden State. And, and everybody and their mother knew that that was going to be the matchup going into the finals. Would you rather raise the NFL cap or would you rather lower the NBA cap if you had to choose one? Um, I'd probably lower the NBA cap because, I mean, they have, they have a lot of money, but, I mean, you can, yeah, it, it's just a hassle to try to pay everybody what they want, and in the NFL, as you said, anybody can win, it's, even the weather can throw off teams and quarterbacks throwing the ball. Right, I mean, you're not going to take the roof off of the NBA stadium (laughs) and start playing on concrete or anything like that. (laughs) Yeah. I I would say the the NBA or the NFL should be allowed to pay the, should have to pay the players more rather than, I mean, and I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends. Like, what I hate to see is, like, the Miami, what Miami did in, you know, they went out, they got Chris Bosh, they got... LeBron James, they went after Ray Allen, they added all those pieces, you know, where you had essentially the players acting as their own agents and deciding where they wanted to go and, and creating their own super team. I mean, that's essentially what you end up having is since there's only five players on the court, you know, now you have four players that decide they're going to negotiate their own terms and they're going to, now you have, you know, a third of the team constructed by the players themselves. There's no way you could get when imagine, I mean, you'd have to have like the entire Cowboys offensive line, and then you would go get Tom Brady on your side, and then you would, you know, maybe go talk to Todd Gurley and, and get this superstar running back all on the same team, and they all negotiate their own trip. Like that, but not just that. You you got to go after the defense too. I mean, you got to go and recruit right. Earl Thomas and and who else you gonna bring in as corners? Whereas you have twenty two players. You know, playing offense and defense put together, whereas you have five on an NBA exactly. court, which is is I know I said if you had to pick one, but if I had to pick one, I'd pick both. I I would honestly I, I would lower the NBA just to to force the stars to separate. Whereas, which I, I like the new move they did, whereas if you stay with the team that drafts you for a certain amount of time and you're uh, all NBA, you can get a seventy million dollar bump, which will help some, but. Paul George is still leaving because, I mean, you look at how much There's money. Around. Yeah, you look at how much money he's made. He's set. You know, he, he's set for the rest of his life, and he, and he can still make 
$100 million with the Lakers next year and still play with the team that he wants to. Whereas I think if you lower that cap a little bit, plus leave the $70 million in play, whereas you can get $70 million more if you stay with the team that drafts you, players aren't going to move around as much. And you're going to have what we had back back in the day where it was, you know, you really only had about two superstars on a team. And I know people will bring out, you know, this team had three or that team had three, but you're not going to have... They were mostly drafted, though, back then. I mean, you didn't right. have these teams. That's what I love about Golden State is only Durant is... Durant's pretty much the only free agent, you know, stud signing that they had. You know, everybody else was, was made internally or drafted internally. Their main so. pieces were through the draft. and They built through the draft. So I don't think it's fair to punish Golden State for drafting well. You know, that that would be my my philosophy on that. But right, right, but if you lower the cap, then then a a person like Clay Thompson has to leave and I'm not saying, you know, get Clay Thompson out of Golden State, but if you can move him to another team, that'll that'll make Golden State worse and it'll make another team better and maybe even add another contender. You know, make the talent more spread out to where there's more teams that can win the championship. So you're saying punish the teams that do their homework and draft well? No, I mean, you'll you'll still... Golden State's won two titles this way. But once their contracts come out, they'll have a total of three contracts. If... Or three contracts, uh, three titles. If having three titles in four years is a punishment, then please, where do I sign up? I mean... You're still going to be able to win titles and before you actually have to pay. I mean, Steph Curry, in the last two or three years, was the, the most underpaid player in all of sports, in my opinion. Well, yeah, that's not just in your opinion. I think everyone can agree to that. But that's, that's what I'm saying. It's just, and I don't know, what, what's strange to me is how different the culture is in the NBA than it is in the NFL. Pretty much the only player that got crucified to leave their teams and go to a team that was better was LeBron James and Kevin Durant. But you never, you know, then then we hate on them if they don't win a championship. But it just, like, could you imagine if Phillip Rivers were to leave the Chargers and go, you know, go to a team that was... Go that to was, Denver? What yeah, if, go to Denver or go to, go to Houston that needs a quarterback. You know, no. They don't. They, they're expected to stay where they were drafted and wait for the team around them to get better and then they can you know, contribute. But it's just like, I mean... Well, that's another thing the NFL does different is that they don't let their stars become free agents. Derek Carr's contract wasn't up this year. They didn't let him become a free agent. Right. And to me, if if players in the NFL really wanted this, like they say they do, they would let them be free agents. Like Derek Carr, if he would have said, no, I'm not taking your $25 million a year. I'm going to play on my rookie contract. And then I'm going to become a free agent. And then I'm going to see what kind of money I can make. And I'm going to demand, you know, a fully guaranteed contract. Could he have gotten a fully guaranteed contract if he would have waited? Yeah, absolutely. Well, then to me, in my eyes, why doesn't somebody in the NFL come out and say, you know, hey, look, I'm going to get a fully guaranteed contract. I'm going to wait to become a free agent. If you're a premier quarterback in this league, you know, like Kirk Cousins, for example, he's been franchise tagged the last two years now, and he's going to make $24 million this year, I think. Come next year, to me, Kirk Cousins has all the leverage on the Redskins. Yeah. He's going to say, look, this is what I want. This is what you're going to give me. If not, I'm walking. 
Because another team will. San Francisco will match that. We all know that Kyle Shanahan is in love with Kirk Cousins. If the Redskins don't give him what he wants, the 49ers or somebody else will. And to me, Kirk Cousins is the only one doing it right so far. Well, I don't think he's doing it right. I think the Redskins are doing it wrong. It's like They're refusing to pay him because they don't think he is what everybody else does. Which I, I kind of, in a way, I kind of agree with them. But this is the world that we live in. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a team. So, unless you're playing the AFC South. So, <laughs> it just, it, it's the world that, that we live in. And it's, I mean, look what Brock Osweiler got. Because he played seven games on the Denver Broncos and they went to the Super Bowl. So, it just, it's just part of it. But and, even his contract, he's going to play his first two years of that contract. And then, most likely, the Browns are going to cut him because his back end of his contract isn't fully guaranteed. So they're not going to have to pay him that full $18 million right, he's a restricted last two years. free agent, yeah. Which, which, to me, which, you know, if, if I'm, you know, who's the next quarterback who's going to be a free agent that's going to be, you know, a big fish in the market? You know, is it Dak Prescott? Is he up next for the next big payday? To me, if I'm him, I'm wait. I think he's four years or three year contract. I think he has three. Three years. years left. So he's three years left. So if I'm him, why not play out those three years and then tell the Cowboys, tell Jerry Jones, look, if you want me to stay, give me you know a four year, hundred million dollar, fully guaranteed contract, and then that, because if they don't, someone else will. If he plays. Three more years like he had last year and continues to get better and he throws for more touchdowns and more yards, somebody's going to offer him that if they don't. In, in well, my opinion, somebody should. Yeah, well, what I, what I don't get is, I think a big reason why they do is because they, they don't, they, don't they, take the, they take the extension before the contract is up to help the team clear cap space to bring in more people. I mean... That's, you know, it's it's like, okay, well, you know, you can either take more money and and we keep the team that we have now, or you can take a little bit less money and we'll pay you down the road and, and be better now. But that's, that's what everybody's always doing is they're banking, they're banking on the next three, four years and then it doesn't, you know, seemingly doesn't pan out and then, you know. But they're going to take that risk right out of the gate to, to, to take the money. Because that's usually the way it works. You know, and that's what we saw with Tony Romo's contract. The first couple of years weren't that bad. The longer he played, the bigger the, the, bigger the contract. Yeah, he got. loaded the back end of his contract. Right. So that, you know, but it, it, takes, it takes a hit. If you don't take the hit now, you're going to take it later. Or, but that, and that's another thing I think the NFL could do is if they just offered the guaranteed money, you know maybe the guaranteed money doesn't count towards the cap space. You know if you were to say, look, we'll give you a five year a five year deal that's worth a hundred million dollars, and we're but we're going to give you fifty million dollars guaranteed. Now they're only making say, you know the the twenty million a, a season, but they got that extra fifty million to. Right. $50, $50 million of that deal wouldn't count against the cap space, and you could spend that money elsewhere. Correct. Right, but then you're still only getting 50% guaranteed money, and you look at, which is about what they're getting right now, is 50% of 
No, I'm am ju- just saying using that as an example because it would it would help even everything out because the en- the owners aren't just going to give the money guaranteed money to just anybody. I mean, they're not going to go out there and and give a bunch of guaranteed money to to you know say Pierre Garcon versus you know Julio Jones because you know obviously they're, they're not in the same they're not in the same realm. But then you could go ahead and give you know, Pierre Garcon, a one-year contract that's worth, say, $12 million because it's worth the risk. The payoff is there. Right. And to me, I I think the players in the NFL have to to work together. And to me, that's that's where it becomes difficult because in the NBA, they can do that. It's only, you know, a couple players have to do it. Whereas in the NFL, you have to get, you know, what did we say earlier, 17,000 players in the NFL. If you want to get more money and and fully guaranteed contracts you have to get 17,000 people to work together. I mean you you remember when they had the lockout back mm-hmm. in was 91? I'm not even sure when it was. Well, we almost had a lockout what 6 years ago. Right. But I mean when they had that lockout, you know, the owners pockets are much deeper than the players. Oh, by far. And when when you get that first first player that says, "You know what? I need a paycheck." And then they go back, and then the next one's like, well, he went back, so I'm going back. And that, to me, is where they're not going to win. So if you're going to renegotiate this in this upcoming CBA in in 2021, you have to start it now. You have to get more more guaranteed money now. I'm not saying you have to get a fully guaranteed contract right now, but I'm saying if Kirk Cousins can get... You know, seventy percent of his contract guaranteed, and then another guy gets you know seventy five percent of it guaranteed, and you get it up to about eighty percent guaranteed. Once you do that new CBA, then you can say, "Hey, look, let's bump it up another ten, fifteen percent, and we can get ninety percent of it guaranteed money." And I think a lot of them would be happy with that, because then if you do get hurt, you still do see most of that contract. Because a lot of times you get hurt, all that money down the drain, mm-hmm. most of it. Because they're, they're not going to keep you around if you tear your ACL. They're, no. they're going to cut you. I mean, unless you're Adrian Peterson or, you know, one of the top-tier guys. Other than that, you're getting cut. You're done, yeah. I mean, NFL stands for not for long. Um, so, yeah, there's we could go on and on about money and, and contracts and all that stuff. But we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. We'll do this every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, it, Hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast. I'm Cece, your host. Alongside me, co-host Stretch and Toby. Thank you for listening.